If you follow the lectionary, you know that today is baptism of the Lord. Our scripture lesson, uh, though, uh, takes us back before Jesus' baptism. So listen now as we turn to the second chapter of Luke, beginning at the 25th verse. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but worshipped there with fasting and prayer night and day. At that moment she came and began to praise God and to speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Today begins a sermon series leading us to Lent. The sermons each week will reflect on different women in the biblical texts. I guess to start I have a confession to make, I am not a woman. I have raised three independent-minded women who willingly, often without being requested, share their perspective of the world from their younger female mindset. And I'm married to a woman, but that's probably a whole nother preaching series. <laughs> what it means, though, is I'm preaching about women, and it's being interpreted through my male lens. I can't do much about it, but I will try to be informed by other voices and other perspectives. And when Lisa preaches, you'll get a woman's perspective uh, directly. In many ways, women have been left in the shadows of the biblical text and of church history not because they have been unimportant, but because the power brokers and the storytellers have usually been men. I hope we can see some of these women emerge from the shadows in the coming weeks. We read the Gospel of Luke and the birth narrative year in, year out, because it's so exciting. There's so many wonderful, dramatic announcements of who Jesus is, including some from women. We often shy away from the Gospel of Matthew because it tells the story differently through a different lens. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew, you mainly hear from Joseph, King Herod, and the wise men. But Luke, Luke focuses on people like Elizabeth the mother of John the Baptist, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. They even acknowledge who, the, who he is. They start talking about him and what he's going to do while he's still in 
the womb. Mary's words are so poetic and beautiful, they're put to music, which we know as the Magnificat. And of course, they're the angels from the heavens bursting out with glorias to announce the birth of Christ. This morning we read a text from Luke. Simeon, the priest in the temple, makes a dramatic announcement as well. Can you visualize that scene? There he is, center stage, as the priest might be, sharing with everyone that he can now die because the Messiah, God, has promised, has now arrived. We see Simeon going over to Mary and Joseph and sharing with them this great news. Surely those who gathered were in awe of the priest paid careful attention to what he was announcing. His conversation with Jesus' parents gave them much about which to talk. And then we read, there was also, which means, oh, by the way, don't forget this last kind of unimportant thing that you probably ought to know. There was also Anna. She's acknowledged as a prophet. In fact, we're told more about her age and marital status than what she has to say about Jesus. She makes no grand announcement. She simply praises God and quietly tells people who are wondering about the redemption of Jerusalem... Those people asking that question we have, how's it going to work out? Is God going to do something? Where's our hope? She tells these people, oh, by the way, the Messiah has arrived. Anna. We know her husband had died. We assume she would have been encouraged to get remarried in part so that she could have kids, but she chooses not to. She's a widowed woman with no children in a society that defines and identifies women through their husbands first and then through their male sons. In the power hierarchy of the world in which she lives, she is a widowed, old, barren woman down at the lowest rung of the ladder, down there with the orphans. But Anna has chosen a different way to live out her faithfulness. She stays in the temple day and night, fasting, praying, and worshiping God. I suspect at times some of the others laughed about that old lady who's always there praying in the temple. She has no life. You, you can imagine those conversations, can't you? Conversations also tinged with admiration, perhaps, for her persistent faith. Every time we're there, she's there. She becomes part of the, the woodwork of the temple, always there. When I read about Anna, I remember a woman in the first church I served in Kentucky. I arrived right out of seminary. I was ready to get the church moving. Uh, they'd been there almost 200 years, and 
Somehow I thought they hadn't moved much, but I was going to get them moving. For me, being faithful meant action. Get on a committee. Go to Sunday school. Work with the youth. Go on a mission trip. What are you going to do? And it was my personal goal to get everybody involved. Faithfulness meant discernible action and movement. Many of them humored me. But there was a woman who was at the church every Sunday, sat on the back row. The church was a little bit differently shaped than that, but imagine uh, up against the vestibule wall on the right-hand side as I looked out, and there she was on a, a short pew every Sunday. She didn't say much. She didn't volunteer to teach. She didn't volunteer to work with the youth. She didn't serve on a committee. She didn't go on a mission trip. But every week, she sat on that same pew. I saw the potential that she had. And I knew it was up to me to get her involved. I tried so hard. I'm embarrassed now to say that later I found out she had the most volunteer hours at the hospital of any person in the history of the hospital. But she wasn't volunteering at church. I wasn't getting her to be faithful. And she'd smile. And she'd tell me no. And she'd tell me no. And she'd tell me no. And she'd sit on the back row of the sanctuary on the same pew. I gave up on trying to get her involved. And then I noticed that she was always there about 45 minutes before worship. Sitting in that back pew. People would run up and down the aisles and oh, greet each other. And she was sitting off by herself 45 minutes in the countdown to worship. And then I learned that every Sunday she came 45 minutes early to pray. She sat on the back pew and prayed about everyone on the prayer list. She prayed about the preacher who was going to preach. She prayed about the church. She prayed about the world. She prayed about everything going on every week. 45 minutes of prayer from that back pew. Every week, a symbol of faithfulness and concern. When I read Anna's story, I think about her. Each day, Anna was a sign of faithfulness for the gathering community. She'd been doing it a long time. And she's going to be there the next day doing it again. In some ways, the day Jesus was presented was a day like no other. In other ways, it was like every other day. Either way, Anna was there being faithful. And on this day, that included sharing what she knows about the young boy being presented in worship. He's the one. As we reflect on our lives of faith and how we are shaped by the examples of other, others, I, I hope you'll cling to these things about Anna's faith. It was a patient faith. She'd been waiting a long time, but she kept waiting. Surely she must have wondered at times why she kept waiting, but she did. She kept waiting. She kept praying. She kept fasting. She kept worshiping. How easily it is to give up, to decide God is not going to do what we think God ought to do, so we give up, but not Anna. She patiently waited. 
and also had a persistent faith. She kept looking for the Messiah. In the midst of the distractions of the world passing by, Anna maintained her focus on looking for the one who is coming to redeem Jerusalem. We live in a world, I don't, I don't have to tell you, you, you live it. We multitask, we have many distractions, the world is, is moving by so quickly, and Anna reminds us of persistent faith that clings to Christ in the midst of those distractions. It's so easy to miss God in our midst, but not Anna. She kept her focus. And finally, Anna had a proclaiming faith. She tells the story. I love the way Luke simply says, she began to speak about the child who, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. No angels from on high. No priest making a grand announcement. No Peter speaking to the crowds. No Paul debating on Christ's behalf. Anna just tells the story about Christ, about what God is doing to redeem Israel. It seems to me our world needs to see you, to see you live out a patient, persistent faith. Our world needs to hear you again and again as you tell the stories about what God in Christ has done, is doing, and is going to do. Amen.